for 12 years in a row. Ranking Arizona's number one most trusted referral network, rosieonthehouse.com. And we're privileged and happy to have you. And over three decades of Rosie on the House. Well, good morning, Arizona homeowners. Thank you for tuning in. I got a particularly uplifting note of encouragement from a realtor who's been here in town for a long, long time. And they said, Rosie, do you think it's possible that Phoenix is the fastest growing city in America? Because it's the only place you can find Rosie on the house. <laughs> well, well, that's I not said, quite true. Because there you got Flagstaff, you got Tucson, you that's got Green true. Valley. That's true. We are we are covering the state with information about your favorite topic: your home, your house, your castle, or your cabin. We're here every Saturday morning to answer questions you might have about projects, repairs, or maintenance that you're contemplating doing or find yourself needing to do at your house you can reach us by dialing one 767 we'd love to hear from you the arizona homeowners it's our goal in life to become every arizona homeowner's best friend and i was also triple encouraged this week in that we got a phone call from some new residents to the state of arizona and they said, you know, when we moved into our house, our neighbors came over and knocked on our door and said, look, if you welcome to Arizona, if you ever need anything done to your house, go to rosieonthehouse.com. So they thought, okay, we'll see, we'll see what she has to say. And uh, they've been in town for two months, and they've used Lions Roofing, Water Treatment Technologies, and three others, and they just wanted to let me know, I wish there would have been something like you where we came from. So that just tickled me to death. That gives us some indication that we're making a difference for those of you that are already here and helping welcome those of you that are coming. And we can't talk about being the fastest growing city in America in the middle of the desert without talking about water <laughs> and we're covering it all month long the picture in our home maintenance calendar is a perfect depiction of the wet season we've had and it's almost like you know we planned that perfectly in the calendar and had no idea when we put it together 18 months ago that we'd be sitting here talking about record rainfall the wettest since 2008 wetter than the last two seasons combined uh, more watershed from the rain than the entire snowpack of last year into our uh, Salt River and Verde watershed. That thank you, thank you, thank you. So grateful for this monsoon. <laughs> yeah, that, that was funny. Jay said that. What two, was that last weekend? You know, see what happens when you get so many people praying for rain. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I took a hike through the Matazels. Um, just right at the base of Matazel Peak last Monday. Me and, me and the dogs were out for all day, covered quite a few miles. There were places back there on the Arizona Trail 
Romy, it looked like a manicured golf course. Hmm. It was some of the most beautiful, deepest green desert you could ever imagine. It was gorgeous. Look at Mount Ord. Oh, man. And I did uh, uh, Horton Creek on Monday as well. Oh, boy. And the forest is green as this I've ever seen. Yeah. Hmm. So water. And I was trying to describe water. This week was the 29th annual Arizona Water Law Conference at Doubletree Resort in Scottsdale that I attended. And I was trying to, like, if you had to describe water to an alien, how would you describe it? You know, it's vital for all living forms of life, but has no life of its own. It is versatile in form, but has no control over the form it takes. It can't decide it wants to turn to ice or evaporate or gas. You know, it reacts to its environment. Okay. It has no control over its physical movement, but yet has movement. And power. And, I mean, (laughs) there's rivers inside the ocean. There's whirlpools. The flood runoff, you know, the, the force it has when it's moving, but it's got no physical ability to create its own movement. It has no voice, but it can create sound. Okay. You know, how, how would you describe this? And in simplest form, it's H2O, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. But what, what would, how would you describe that to something else and, and describe its importance to our existence? It's a big thought. It, That's a really big thought. So, well, and you have time to think about these things sitting through hours of conference. Oh, my gosh. I think Arizona Water Resource Director Tom Berjorski, I butchered his last name. I apologize. I, I think he caught me nodding. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. There was one time I'm like, I'm, hey, hey, you need to speed up the pace of your conversation here if you're going to keep me alive after lunch <laughs> this is nap time but defining water <laughs> but i had three big and, dri- and and potable water is kind of important yeah and i had and, and i've got an interesting thing on, on on potable water but there's three takeaways from the conference that, that i got i'm sure okay everyone attending probably had their own but uh everyone wants more with less restrictions <laughs> but also realizes that's not reality. Yeah, really, that's tough. Um, after each session, there was a questions that was really used more as grandstanding. Okay, by right. by people than it was for for actual questions. You saying some folks had some agendas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at the water conference, and uh, no one has any real time answers. That's your takeaway. Yeah. No, that's kind of a scary takeaway. Every and every idea is met with extreme opposition from some other group or lobby with an agenda to to get more water with less restrictions for their own use. No matter how good or bad the idea is, and I wouldn't say it's met with it's met with objections. Yeah, and I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know that I heard any bad ideas, and there and there really wasn't a. Uh, a conference of ideas and solutions. Um, you know, it's Arizona water law, so it was mainly okay. understanding 
you know, the water law. And the, there was a gentleman from that represents northern and eastern Arizona. Let me see. His name was David. I got it right here. David Brown. And he's, uh, I think, a fifth-generation rancher, if I remember from, from his presentation correctly. And he's also been a, a, a water law for 30 years. And he's got cases as it relates to what our topic is today, water runoff, and, you know, where where you're pumping out of from underground and where it relates to underground water and river water and how close to the river you can pump that are over 18 years old. They still haven't got a ruling on. I happen to know Mr. Brown because when we owned the property in the White Mountains Makes on, sense. on the Blue River, we have a spring that comes out of the meadow mm-hmm. and drains into a lake. Mm-hmm. that then drains into the Blue River, that then drains into Luna Lake, that then drains into the Gila, that then makes its way to Yuma. And I, well, I talked to him. I says, look, that spring coming out of the ground, uh, I've talked to Fish and Game, and I think I'd like to build a little grandchild's crappie pond uh, and bluegill pond there. And he said, well, I'll tell you this, Mr. Romero. Um we can we can start looking into it. It'll probably take about fifteen years. It'll probably cost you at least three hundred to three hundred fifty thousand dollars in my time, and the chances of you being able to touch that water is zero. He says because you would have to go get permission from the Auction Indian Reservation in Coolidge to even put a shovel into the ground to disturb that water flow. And that's where you'd have to start, and you have to work upriver from that. <laughs> so that, that, is, wow. that is the critical dimension that water plays in the beautiful southwestern United States. That would be an and, expensive fish fry, too. Yeah, yeah that would be an expensive fish fry. It would. <laughs> and it's funny you say that because the— main theme of his entire presentation kept going back to what he said multiple times and it's not the first time first person i heard it say it but uh money flows to water or water flows to money (laughs) (laughs) so that that makes perfect sense well speaking of money and water i'd like to have all our listeners just sit down for a minute and listen to this for one minute do you have any clue what goes on when us developers and home builders take a look at a raw piece of desert and decide we're going to turn this into a subdivision. The very first thing we have to do is take a look at drainage. It is the very first thing. We have to get some very expensive geologists, hydrologists, civil engineers, all people that have spent a lot of money getting their education, building up years of experience, coming out and developing and looking at maps that we've spent millions of dollars producing and perfecting. And that's the very first thing we've got to do before we take one blade of dirt and move it. We've got to establish what are we going to do 
with the altered drainage of this terrain now that it's going to be roads, sidewalks, pool decks, patios, and rooftops. And they put all that experience, all that time, and all that money into making it work as a subdivision. And then your neighbor flushes it all down the toilet because they want a raised planter for their petunias in the backyard. More on that when we get back. Rosie on the house, this monsoon season, has been flooded with questions about how to deal with running surface water at my house. And one of the things everybody wants to know about are dry wells and sump pumps. So we'll be talking about those. There's some real challenges to those. And I want to cover that. Everybody starts thinking that's a a cure-all, but they have a lot of restrictions on them where you can put them, where you can't put them. And you have to really do an analysis of what the true capacity of what you're creating has and will it really be any good. So we'll be covering that a little bit later in the show. But we're talking about developing raw land and what it takes to manipulate the drainage that at one time was falling on decomposed granite, desert washes, Palo Verde trees, mesquite trees, uh, creosote bushes, and the natural terrain that is now falling on your rooftop, on your patio deck, on your cool deck, on your driveway, on your sidewalks, on your streets. And what are we going to do with all of that water now that has no place to sink in? And how are we going to deal with it? And that's what goes in to subdivision planning when we're building out a brand new area. And I made a little joke about now your neighbor messes the whole thing up by putting one raised planter in the wrong place in their backyard and creates problems for you. And that's not a particularly huge exaggeration. I'm only going to say when you landscape your yard, You've got to take the time to analyze what impact it's going to have on the drainage in a good raining downpour, both upon your property and every property downhill from you. That's only the right thing to do. So make sure you're consulting an expert that can help guide you through that. Flood water. Expert. That's an interesting word, too can have a different meaning to a lot of people. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Some people claiming it are often seldom uh, worthy of it, I would say. <laughs> if someone has to claim it, you know they probably aren't. <clears throat> so one concept we've talked about, you know, getting water diverted off of the Columbian River into the Green River, which would then flow into the Colorado. Before Casa Grande actually has something in writing and is requesting a feasibility study from our, you know, D.C. about diverting water from Davenport, Iowa, where there's currently a diversion dam. Okay. Over to Rock Springs, Wyoming, 
That's about a thousand miles. Okay. Where it would pour into the Green River and then travel the same path as any other water that comes into the Colorado from that far north. Someone in Casa Grande figured out that they could put a pipeline from Davenport, Iowa. And they've <laughs> to got them to the Green River in Wyoming. They've got a map. It's almost perfectly. That's brilliant. Uh, you know, <laughs> lag, lo, on the longitude, uh, it, it's almost perfectly right across I eighty. Um, I, I again, what do the folks real, in Davenport think of Casa Grande's <laughs> idea? <laughs> Well, I don't know, because they specifically say this is for flood water harvesting. Oh. So it's not like it would be a constant water draw. But at times when it flooded, excessive, they would have this opportunity to then pump water over and fill up our reservoirs that are all above that, uh, that Rock Springs area in the, Wyoming. This would be the Mississippi River that Davenport's on, right? Or close to it? Yep. Oh, okay. It, exactly. All right. You know how that floods. <laughs> I could I could ruin farm fields, but you could collect all that water and bring it down here. Farmers would be happy in Iowa. Well, and they say it's as potable as oil, and we've got a pipeline from Canada to uh, Houston, so why couldn't we have that? I don't know. Is it as potable? I mean, think I about all the living organisms that are in water. What would come over from those floods that could potentially infiltrate our water system you know we got crawfish oh, over here that's an interesting thought a davenport water ends up in the green river mississippi river water ends up in the green river what is it going to bring with it yeah Ooh. now we'll have to add a treatment so, system to that and oh, so ching 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 well and you couldn't i don't think you could do a pipeline you know think about how big the cap canal is and that's only a fraction of the size of what imperial canal is into yeah. the, the farm field there aren't pipes that big even if you could make a pipe that big they don't have the equipment to move put into position and place together so it would have to be some kind of mega open canal because if you let's say you did put in a 21 foot pipe how fast would you have to be able to pump that water to make a difference and how many pumps would you need to move it uh, uh, exactly so <laughs> That flood water harvesting, they want a feasibility study. One uh, one of the solutions that was brought up at uh, the Arizona Water Law Conference this week. Tell me why. Tell me why. Phoenix, Arizona is the fastest growing city in America. It's because people are moving here to buy their new Ford vehicles from the number one award-winning dealership in America, Sanderson Ford. Rosie on the house celebrating 33 years. Sanderson Ford celebrating 65 years of family owned on 64 acres in Glendale. New and used Ford vehicles. If you are in the car buying mode, you would do yourself a huge favor by going to the number one most award-winning dealership in the country, Sanderson Ford. It's right here. It's in your neighborhood. 
And I was talking to guys at Sanderson Ford the other day. She said, Rosie, people drive from all over the place to get to us. We deliver cars literally statewide to regular customers. I was recently in the White Mountains, and my truck was parked there with the Sanderson Ford license plate on it, an LSU bumper sticker on it. And somebody walked up. I came back to the truck. I was walking, hiking with my dogs, and there were a couple guys on horseback there. And they said, we knew it was you. When I saw the Sanderson and a Ford and an LSU sticker, we knew <laughs> it was Rosie Brown. And we've got three ranches up here on the Coconino Plateau, and there isn't a vehicle on any of those ranches that don't come from Sanderson Ford. And we just thought you'd want to know that. Now, that's pretty cool. So, folks, if you're in the community, shop from someone that supports the community. Shop from someone that's got 65 years of incredible success. If you ever go to Sanderson Ford and buy yourself a vehicle and you owe me to thank for that, then I hope you'll let me know. You'll never regret it. Well, if you're tired of hearing us talk about water, don't worry. There's only a half hour left to this hour that wraps up our month on water topic. And it'll be not until next August that we will really focus on it again. I was telling the team we should probably take a two or three year break. But uh, putting together our 2022 home maintenance calendar, Water Use It Wisely has partnered with us to have another water month again next year. So we'll look forward to that. As we were going to bottom of the hour news break, we were talking about... By the amount of feedback we get all week long on water, I don't think... <laughs> I mean, when you, 1% of the water on the globe is potable. Well... In its natural state. It's now, like can, 3%, but they say okay. only one of that is accessible. Of accessible, okay. I'm, I'm, and, I'm still dry heaving a little bit and... About what you said last week about Las Vegas. <laughs> well, you think about it, New Orleans, and how many times it's been recycled coming down the Mississippi before it gets there. We're used to that, but Vegas is a little dirtier than you know New Orleans. I, I, and well, you could argue, but Las Vegas so, is upstream from me. Yeah, that's why. That's why it bothered me. <laughs> and right, yeah, in New Orleans, you're, you're, you're the end of the stream. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, you only have Memphis and St. Louis and <laughs> what is that? Uh, oh, Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, Minneapolis. There you go, Thank Bemidji, you. where it all starts. <laughs> Bemidji, Minnesota, the start of the Great Mississippi. But that's where it's nice and clear, and you can see it. It is. Then you get to beautiful. New Orleans, you put your hand in the Mississippi <laughs> River, not even an inch, yeah, yeah. and it's like, where's my hand? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so even if you could safely transport flood water from the Davenport Diversion Dam into the Green River at Rock Springs, Wyoming. How long did it take to build the CAP? It was about a decade, as I remember. It is even longer than that. Was it? So by the time you could build something that could pump enough water to make a difference, you're, you're probably you know, at least a decade down the road from getting that and... A feasibility study hasn't even taken place by, you know, the whoever the Congress would assign a, a feasibility. Would that be the, the Department of Interior? Would that be reclamation? Would that 
be the Army Corps of Engineers, it'd probably be all of those. You know, that, that would probably take a decade to yeah. get done with the feasibility oh, study, it, approve it, grant funding, and get it built. You're two decades down the road. And in the, on the topic of harvesting floodwater, uh, uh, between all of us, between Gary and, and us, the amount of cousins we have in South Louisiana that are getting ready to get flooded again, Gary, you think it's too late to call the Walmart and Bro Bridge and pre <laughs> and prepay for mace, a case of mason jars? And we could have all of our cousins just reach out the window and fill up the mason jars and ship them to us. I think that might work, though. Har- you know? Harvesting floodwater. comes into uh, the, the next conversation of, of salinity. How much of hurricane water is, is seawater? I mean, that— that, that water's coming from the ocean. Well, the surge is going to be salty. Yeah. Right on the coast. How much of in. that rain coming down and, and coming off is, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, yes, it's not, like you said, it's not the same as the surge. But anyway, go, that comes to desalination that constantly comes up. And it's a bigger factor in our world than probably most of us realize they love to use the israel comparison of you know israel's desalination well okay israel's less than nine thousand square miles arizona's 114 thousand square little, miles it's a little country it's, a little. it's only seven percent the land mass of arizona and has nine million people in it you think they're growing their own food on that kind of landmass for that kind of people? Their desalinations are yeah. drinking water. Yeah. And that's fine, but they're completely dependent on imports to survive. Maybe not on their drinking water. So California has 12 desalination plants currently operating. Okay. The biggest one is Carlsbad. Okay. They produce annually 50 million gallons of desalination water to Sound, sounds like a lot. Southern California. What is 50 million gallons? Well, if you divide it by 325,851, which is how many gallons are in an acre foot, which is how water is measured in water law as we're diverting it out of the Colorado River, that's 153 acre feet annually. Well, how much is 153 acre feet? Not much. The CAP alone, before... For the tier two shortage kicks in, tier pumps one, out. tier one, <laughs> tier one, yeah, <laughs> pump the brakes on that. Buddy. Well, there's it, it's deceitful because there's actually a tier zero. There's a zero one two. So by the time you're at two, you're actually at three in my book because zero is a number and they're not counting zero. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, so there's a hundred and two million acre feet a year, and they're desalinating a hundred fifteen, a hundred and fifty three so, a year, a year. So it's it's less than ten percent of what CAP wow. pumps across the desert. So it's a it's a feasible drinking water solution, and they're looking at putting one in Rocky Point. But you're not thinking <clears throat> that nine dollar a gallon drinking water is something people are going to take a shower in. Probably not take a shower. <laughs> it's it's about what you spend in bottled water. Yeah, it is. If you yeah. calculate. You know, a full 64-ounce gallon divided into your bottles yep. bought individually at the convenience store. Yeah. Not not much different. No, it's not. But uh, if they – the one that they're looking at putting in and uh, CAP and 
Uh, I will tell you. I got it right here. And the Jacobs Engineering final presentation on Thursday at the Arizona Water Law Conference was on <clears throat> desalination opportunity in the Sea of Cortez. And they're looking uh, just just down from Rocky Point, putting in a plant that would generate 200,000 acre f- feet of water a year. Okay. And what they would, the concept is that's water that Mexico wouldn't pump out of the Colorado. We could short them another 200,000 yeah. <laughs> acre feet. <laughs> and let's keep in mind, there is a desal plant that's dormant right now in Yuma. Yeah. Right. You yeah. Know? I don't think a lot of folks know that. I, I mean, we just found out about it about a month ago. Well, and, and the reason it's dormant is because of that cost. You know, Yuma's not a big enough population. For dr- that much expensive but, drinking. Right. You sure, you sure wouldn't water the lettuce fields with it. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so, all right. I cannot bring up uh, the phones on this side for whatever reason. It doesn't work, so. I can do that. Producer... <laughs> Uh, Gary D is bringing up Jason, who's joined the conversation at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie for you. Text questions four one one nine two three, or you can email info at rosieonthehouse dot com. I don't think we've given those numbers out at all today. We had so much information prepared. I I apologize. So, Jason, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Great. Good. Well, one of the things I think most people don't realize, and I, you know, when you're talking about these energy efficient dishwashers, for example, um, I have a whirlpool, and the thing was brand new, thing wasn't working right. Had the whirlpool guy come out, he says, "Well, the dishwashers nowadays are being energy efficient, which means that they don't have the heating elements in them, which in turn you have to run the water to get the water hot." roughly 120 degrees so apparently the soap has to that's how it activates about 121 120 right, degrees right i know you're, and i know i know what you're going to say is i'm going to put a recirculation pump in well you know that's just another cost and i would say 95 percent of the people wouldn't do that right and that's a huge i think when they set these regulations up they don't think about you know we can live without electricity we can't live without water now now jason are you accusing your bureaucrats of being uh uh one-sided? <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> well, he brings up a good point because you're trying to energy star drive all your appliances, everything electric. And one of the ways you can accomplish a very high efficiency rating on a dishwasher is just leave the internal heater out of it. And then you're dealing with exactly what Jason's talking about. Okay, now we've got to get hot water delivered and how much water does it take going out the drain and like we talked about last week how much energy did it take to heat the water because all energy is created from water (laughs) but not all but most of it you know there i well you know i I mean technically technically you could because the natural gas the harvesting process of that takes water and your natural gas generators uh that are combustion driven over steam uh, you know, so uh, all all electricity. Jason, you, we, you said you could live without electricity. You can't live without water. Well, you wouldn't have electricity without water either. Yeah, Jason, we appreciate that input. We really do. I didn't mean to to be sarcastic. But we do appreciate it. It's a, it's it's the process of thinking through the entire holistic issue. 
And that's one of the things I want to talk about in this next segment is we get a lot of calls in the monsoon season, this monsoon season in particular, about what to do with the surface water that's impacting my house. What do I do with it as it piles up on the back patio, particularly those that you live in a high density, maybe condo project, townhome, patio home project, where the roof water is draining into the backyard that's surrounded on all three sides by a wall and the back wall of your house. What do you do as that water piles up inches deeper and deeper and deeper? Is a dry well a solution? Is a sump pump a solution? That's what we'll be talking about right after we get back. How many nights this monsoon season have you just gone out onto the back patio and listened to the rain fall on the patio roof? Isn't that a great sound in the state of Arizona? I just love that sound. Or sitting in the kitchen, listening to it hit the skylights. Just, oh, there it is. Let's go outside. Rain on the roof, <laughs> summer night. Oh, man. Where they still know wrong from right. Interesting text question. We were talking about pipeline and bringing the water over and just talking about how it may not be the most realistic. From uh, bringing water from the Mississippi River, Davenport, Iowa, to Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Okay. And somebody said, Romy better research how they pump water over the mountains from Tehachapi to L.A., which I don't know. I'll be interesting to look that up, but thinking through it without doing any research, well, Tehachapi, if you've ever been there, it's also the home of the second largest wind uh, farm, okay. energy generation. And it's really very interesting to go through because you go from the Mojave Desert and Miles of from Kingman, uh, well, what's the next one? Is that needles? Co- needles. <laughs> Let's give needles. Yes, I was going to say Parker, but Parker's farther <laughs> south. From from Parker to uh, to Hatchaby Pass. I mean, there's not one tree to be seen. I don't think. And then you suddenly get through half of to Hatchaby, and all of a sudden you just turn into this, you know. When it's rain and it's green, (laughs) this beautiful rolling mountains and hills and trees. I mean, it's like this perfect line. It's it's really an incredible uh, natural transition. But anyway, from Tehachapi to L.A., you're going downhill. Think that helps? And well, look at the Wilmer, look at the Wilmer pumping plant. Okay, and I that's exactly the the parallel I was going to draw. That pumps water from CAP vertically. 800 feet. That generation station is 60% of CAP's energy use. And CAP is the single largest energy consumer in the state of Arizona. So it's very expensive to pump water. To go from Davenport, and doing a quick search online, it's 580 foot, 580 feet in elevation. Okay. To Rock Springs, Wyoming, that's at 6,388 feet elevation. That's a lot of pumping. You'd have to vertically lift that water 5,808 feet. That's over a mile in vertical lift. They could do it, but like you say, it'd be expensive. And the amount of water needed to generate the energy that could do that. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Now, the other issue we wanted to wrap up this segment is what do you do when you... 
in a tight living quarters, and I like enjoying the rain, and I've got room in my, my, my sand volleyball court actually is a retention basin for my, own, my whole property. It takes thousands of gallons of water and allows it just to seep right back into the, the soil. So you've got a back patio, and you've got water falling off the roof, and it's draining into the back patio. And you can't go outside and enjoy this because the back patio is filling up, and you're worried about how it's going to encroach into the threshold of your patio sliding door when it's three, four, five inches thick, deep. And we get questions all the time. Can I put a dry well in? Well, you need to know when it's raining, for every 1,000 square feet of roof area, for every inch of rain, you're generating 600 gallons of water. We've had three one-inch rain events in North Scottsdale this monsoon season. Each event generated at my house off my roof about 2,400 gallons. If you've got eight, say 500 square feet of roof area draining into the backyard, we're going to need to find some way to handle 300 gallons of water. That is six 55-gallon drums. Now, just think about that. I think you can all picture a 55-gallon drum. And now you need to bury those. Dry wells are not an answer to surface drainage problem in any significant rain event. So we are asking all of you homeowners to pay homage to the experience of the developers, the engineers, the geologists, the hydrologists, the surveyors, and the civil engineers that designed your subdivision and make sure you're not doing anything to impact it. And if you're going into your backyard and paving it solid with concrete and pavers, you're creating your own self-imposed dilemma. So be careful. And then I get asked all the time, okay, well, if a, if a dry well can't handle it and it's so easily overwhelmed, I'll just sump pump it. Well, where are you going to sump pump it to? I want to ask you, where are you going to sump pump it to? You know, it's illegal for you to sump pump it to the front yard and drain it into the street. It's illegal for you to sump pump it up on the roof and let it drain out the front scuppers. So where are you going to sump pump this water? That's my question for you. We've been talking water all month long. The next hour, we're going to be talking about anything you'd like to talk about concerning your house, home, castle, or cabin. But the most asked question of the week is, how can I caulk my windows? (laughs) Another monsoon-generated question that we'll handle right here at Rosie on the House.